Folks, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. And after spending probably seven to eight years uh, in different forms on AM radio and uh, Arizona public media, extraterrestrial radio, I spent a lot of time interviewing my elders in music. And uh, <clears throat> through a, a myriad of, of cosmic sort of situations, I was able to connect with my peer group. And over the last five or six years, I've really been able to burrow in and uh, and see that so much of the music that I loved, even though it was being created from before I was born, is really very much embedded in my generation, my peers and younger generations. It's just, in some cases, uh, the hill that needs to be climbed today by an artist is just that much steeper. But when I see cats like my next guest, it just absolutely floors me. I saw this band uh, up at Tree Fort Festival called Butcher Brown, and my guest was the drummer. He was swinging this ferocious band that was like playing angular funk, jazz, and soul. Uh, there were no wrong notes. Like I remember, uh, you know, people talk about Herbie Hancock, or somebody would play a wrong note and somebody would put a chord on it. And uh, it, the point is that the this band is expanding the vocabulary of music in the modern era. And that is something that is very hard to do. And the rhythm section can be uh, antecedents for that. They can't do it on their own. But uh, this dr this rhythm section absolutely propelled this band uh, to new vocabulary. And uh, what an honor. Corey Fonville, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. What's up, Jake? Thanks for having me, man. Such an honor, bro. You know, I interviewed uh, George Benson a couple years ago, and he told me, um, I'm just going to read you this quote, and you can riff on it in your own way. He said, <clears throat> Elvin Jones said this about John Coltrane, quote, it was like God sent us an angel, and he stayed with us a little while, and then he disappeared, end quote. I thought that was profound. I liked his assessment of John Coltrane not being ordinary. And in this fleeting existence known as life, I wonder if there was somebody in your life, it could have been family, could have been a teacher, could have been a peer, that you feel was sent to us as an angel and made a massive contribution and had a positive impact on you, and then they left. Man, yeah, that's a, that's a deep one. Um, you know, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it pertains to music, but like... Uh, one example for me was Kobe Bryant, just someone that had incredible work ethic at his craft and really mastered it. And, you know, he came and did his job and really changed the culture of, like, obviously sports. And then, you know, unfortunately, he passed away in a um, helicopter accident. But, like, you know, I didn't know him personally, but, uh, hmm. you know, yeah. he's one person that comes to mind. Um, you know, I mean, I think of somebody like Prince. You know, I mean, I don't have anybody personal. Yeah, I, no, dude, you're nailing it. I, first of all, I just want to go back to Kobe Bryant for a minute. Uh, yeah, yeah. How did he change? I forget what you just used the words. How did he change the game? Not, I mean, it's not. I'm saying from the point of view of mastering his work ethic. How did that impact yeah. all these? Because I agree with you, and I mean, I I was always in awe of him as a player, but then to hear all these younger cats who just speak of him like he was the biggest idol for them you know yeah. and i just wonder the yeah. work ethic component specifically you riff on that yeah i mean um you know for me i'm one of those kids and so like i guess i just you know would see talk hear him do interviews and he was just so brilliant man and the way you know talking about getting up at 4 a.m and mm -hmm. you know going to the gym uh you know and putting those shots up and just you know music is not competitive i don't look at it in that way i try my best not to i never wanted to see it in that way because it's all about you know giving something to the people but what i really respected about someone like kobe for my generation i had just never seen someone that just had the will to just always progress he never settled and i think that you know that had a positive impact on me to just never settle for just being mediocre and like <laughs> i love it to like, yeah, yeah you know take it to the next level you know just to be the best version of you you know what i'm saying i dig um you know so i mean that cat had a huge impact on me just, you know, as a former kid that played sports, but just, it also translated into what I, you know, music and inspired me. Um, Let me ask you a question. You just said something, you know, like music, you give it to the people. Kobe would agree. He's giving mm -hmm. 
you know, at the best, when the team is functioning at a high level, they're giving off entertainment to the cat, to the people. Yet those cats are being reimbursed or, you know, compensated insanely well for entertainment that we all live on. But yet, so I want to ask you how it ties into the idea of advocating for your profession. I have a big problem in today's world, uh, not so much with necessarily the outfits you're working with, but it just seems to me at a kind of a macro level, especially since the pandemic, but before that as well, that uh, a large part of our society views music as a musician's gift to the world. So you can pay to play or you can play for the door. And you know what? In the past, you'd have road dog bands that would have roadies that, you know, they weren't leaving the venue until they got paid. You know, there'd be some, you know, I mean, obviously there was also plenty of ripoffs, but I wonder how, if you can translate over that work ethic and being the best version of you as it relates to being able to sing for your supper on the bandstand. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna try to answer this the best I do, can. Do do so do like, it any whatever comes to you. This is yeah, no right yeah. or wrong. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I mean, for me, for instance, like I think with Butcher Brown and just me personally, like you know, I've just tried to like understand so many different facets of the industry. You know, I'm just trying. I'm constantly trying to learn. You know, I'm, I've I've gotten to a point, at least with actually playing music, playing drums. That's like okay, I know what I'm doing here. I'm trying to just continue discovering music. Now, it also goes with the business, trying to just become sharper with that, like, you know, fine tune those skills as well. And, um, you know, it's like it all requires work. You know, I think, you know, you have to at least from from, from what I'm learning is you don't want to just rely on one thing. You want to have write a good writing skills. You want to be able to write music for potential publishing and produce music production. You know, everybody in Butcher, we all write music. We produce, too. And I just think it's, like, important to, like, you know, diversify your skills. You know, you don't want to just be one-dimensional. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And in this age, you know, especially even before the pandemic or post-pandemic, it's like, yeah, we're giving – this is a gift to the world. But at the same time, you know, it does come at a price. or should. You know what I'm saying? It should never just be free. Absolutely, you know I mean? like, man. No, I mean, know, yeah, go ahead. That's really where I'm at. You know, it, it should also – it should always be – some type of monetary benefit that we're gaining from this. And so in my mind, like, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think streaming is now in the new, that's just the way it is now, but vinyl is coming back. You know, I think we're, 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 we're constantly trying to reach for something new, but I do believe that, you know, if you want to uh, really have a big impact out here, you need to like diversify your skills and not just do one thing very well. Like, yeah, I'm going to have my, I'm this, my main skill is playing the drum set. Yeah. That's what I'm best at. But, and I recognize it, but I'm also willing to learn other things and I'm trying to like get better at other instruments just for writing purposes. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to perhaps maybe one day I'll get on stage and play the bass, but you know, <laughs> right now it's just more so for me to like put songs together and bring some new ideas to the band or, to other artists that I'm working with. Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of my take on it, but you know, it's all about, you know, how you, uh, how you move out here. Like you got to play, I think, you know, playing shows is important, but also trying to also get involved on the behind the scenes stuff, such as, you know, learning about publishing, how to get your music played on TV. Absolutely. Just all those cool things. So, well, that, I mean, I remember, yeah, I do it. It's spot on. I mean, I remember one of my interviews with Brian Jackson, you know, Gil Scott's partner. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> when they wrote the bottle, uh, I mean, well, that was a whole other story with their re- with Strata East Records. Uh, they didn't have they didn't have any apparatus to get the 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 product out, and it was selling like hotcakes. But so they had all the records in their apartments. But the older cats were always telling Gil and Brian to make sure that they work on their publishing because obviously there's just horror stories about cats. You go back 50, 60 years, Huey, Piano, Smith, all these guys who wrote these classic tunes and they never got paid for it. So I just think that you got to advocate for yourself. And you, how do you feel about um, <clears throat> the idea of wearing eight hats as an artist today? I mean, before Joni Mitchell or Bruce Springsteen or James Taylor – uh, once they got to a certain level, uh, you know, they could go out on a 40 city tour, be out for two months, lose money 
and the record company could write it off as a, a tax as a loss because they were making so much money on the the records there was the promotion yeah. was already built in and so the and most importantly those leaders and those bands could work on create just focus on creating cr- beautiful creative art and i just wonder yeah. how much how hard is it for you obviously you're willing to push yourself into areas you're not comfortable in but do you feel some is it frustrating sometimes do you feel like it's a dist- because you have to wear so many hats nowadays you that it yeah. takes away from the 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 actual focus on the creation of art itself um, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm learning. I'm kind. Of, I'm I'm like currently realizing, like, okay, I need to like pick my focus, what I want to focus prioritize, essentially, and you know, not burn my. I don't want to burn myself out. So you know, I've all I kept. You know, for instance, last year I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna put out another little instrumental beat tape and just put it on Spotify mm-hmm. and all the streaming platforms. I've kind of put a pause on that because I got sidetracked with finishing up stuff for butcher finishing up the record getting the mix done and doing final you know just last minute things and adding additional songs and talking with adrian our engineer about like oh yeah let's chop this up here you know just doing some post-production and you know um then because i had it was a couple ideas i had that i was just like yo can we add this to the album everybody was like cool let's do it mm-hmm. uh, but anyway that's one example i also uh started working with you know an artist um and helping her write music for her next album and I just had all these instruments, and she asked for a bunch of music, and I had just plenty of stuff just sitting on my laptop, just on my computer from just throughout COVID when I was just in the house making beats. And so, like, I sort of, like, started just, you know what, I'm going to pass this off to her because we're on the same publishing team. I wanted, like, when she's putting out a record, I am totally fine with being behind the scenes and not having to be the artist in this moment because I do so much of that for Butch with Butcher that, like, I am, you know what, I'm going to take a step back let me just send beats to her. We'll discuss it, figure out what she's looking for, and we'll just kind of get a vibe. And I'll just create a batch and put them in the Dropbox and boom. Oh, I love and it. I, felt, I love it. I felt a sense of like, I felt a sense of like weight taken off of me because of that. Because, you know, now it's like, okay, well, all right, fine. It's not going to, maybe I'll put them out of instrumentals one day, but I'm not like feeling that pressure. I'm helping somebody else with their record. And, you know, I'm trying to get involved on that side. And also, like, I have another project with a friend of mine, um, Rico. We grew up together. And we're doing music. And so it's like, I don't know, just trying to, like, really focus in on what's important so I'm not, like, like you said, wearing eight different hats. Like, now I'm more wearing, like, three. Yeah, and and just, like, you can shuffle those hats around, you know. Yeah, yeah. it gives me that space, man. I'm like, I prefer that. And it's cool because now I'm like, okay, all right, I did my job, boom. Um, but I got to tell you know, something else, man, that you don't overwork myself. No, I mean, I, first of all, it's just so funny because I was talking to another drummer yesterday in an interview and he was, we were just, it, it's so important. You may not even realize this part of it, but it's like in this life, I mean, I, I've, I've done so many 1800 interviews and, you know, so much stuff flying around and some of it's resonated hugely some, you know, but the point is that I want to leave a legacy that lives on long after I've left this planet. I've actually sort of surrendered to that as my purpose in life. And, and so the idea that you're taking creative content that might've been on the shelf or been sitting around and giving that oxygen is essential. It's essential for rebirth and rehabilitation. And I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, I, I cannot underestimate enough how important that is. I was just telling somebody the other day that, Hey, they work on the production side. And I said, listen, you know, does anybody ever come in and like, be like, Hey, I, I need, I need some tunes, man. And, and he, he said, frankly, no. But what I was saying was if people do, then you should use some of your content and get it to breathe. Because I feel like so yeah. much of stuff today, so many artists I talk to, a lot of singer songwriters, you know, they make an album, not even sure if they get on tour Basically, this, the album sits and atrophies on the shelf, and then they go make another album. It, it almost seems like you're just sort of running on a hamster wheel. So I just feel like if you can get yeah. that stuff yeah. out, I think it's brilliant. And, you know, whatever comes of it, it's just, to me, it's like your legacy will live on long after you've left this planet, you know? Yeah, it's interesting you say that, man, because uh, I was watching this interview of uh, DJ Nazzy Jeff, mm-hmm. and it was not, it, maybe it wasn't an interview, it was just something, somebody got a, just caught a moment of him just talking and just really, just spitting some game, and he mentioned <laughs> something about, like, 
you know, I want to leave this planet with everything that I want to put out everything. I, I want to die empty. That's exactly, dude. And that was some, that was such a deep, that was so heavy, man. Cause I was like, yeah. I want to leave empty too. That's it. That's it. He, it he, you summed it up. Because you don't know where that stuff's going to take off. I mean, and, and that's, it's already played out for me with doing seminal interviews with cats that have already left. And so people can pick up on whether it's Steve Grossman or Mickey Roker or whoever it is, they can still hear their voice. They can still oh, hear, yeah. you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe some hungry cattle, you know, hear, hear the, re- the interview and be inspired to get on the traps that you don't know. You don't, so you get, you want to leave empty, but I, you know, I want to, I want to ask you about a few things going on in my mind. Um, so you were steeped in your pops record collection and mm-hmm. like listening to Philly Joe, Mickey Roker, Pete LaRocca, Max Roach, every one of those cats had their own individual sound. I did two interviews with Bill Cosby about his involvement in music before the world caved in on him. I'll send you there. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. It's so <laughs> insane. Cause the guy was all he was upset. He would finish his stand up gig at the gaslight theater. And then he would walk to the village gate, walk downstairs with Camille, who was his girlfriend at the time. And then the train would be playing and yep. Elvin would be sweating and hugging her. But the point is yep. that he was like obsessed with being a jazz drummer. So he, you could blindfold, you could put a blindfold on and put any blue note record on and he could tell you who the drummer was. Right. And that's how you grew up. And yet today, I don't care what genre of music it is. I just hear homogenized sound. One thing mm-hmm. about Butcher Brown that was so invigorating was that it was not. But I, I wondered, wow. like, how have you always gone, again, we're always, it's the forever journey. How have you tried to cut above the morass of everybody else and find your own voice? Because you were steeped in that, I mean, that's what I listened to. Yeah, yeah, man. Appreciate. First off, thank you, man. I, I, that we take pride. Truth, in, man. Truth, man. Truth, baby. Truth, man. You know, we just. I, I, I'll say, uh, you know, I mean, I have a unique experience, man. I think you know we all do, but I feel like you know, for me, you know, I listen to a lot of stuff in the house that like uh, my dad just had. Like, he just my, both my parents were just really into cool music. Well, I love musicians, it. But I like, it. my dad was into the. He was very heavy into that acid jazz movement when that was like when I was born. So like I was born in ninety and so like around that time is when it just started taking off, man. So like you had brand new heavies, uh Jameer Quiet, Incognito, oh, all of that. Yeah. Just all of this fire coming from over there in the UK. And you know, he was just tapped into like stuff happening over here with like the fusion, like a lot of those a lot of GRP records. Um, oh, of course. So I, yeah. was, I was hearing that stuff. And then my mom was listening to Sade. She was listening to like, you know, um, you know, all of that stuff that was happening. TLC, Tony Braxton. She loved old school stuff. I would hear Denise Williams in the car. I mean, I was getting a lot. And my dad also <laughs> loved fusion. My dad was uh, fusion. God bless him, dude. That, is the way, that word is so tainted, but I love, I know what he liked. It's yeah. sick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's, you know, it's just like, we called it at the time. It was like contemporary. Dance, Absolutely. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's just funny. Anyway, so I heard a lot of music, man. And, you know, when I got older, I got, you know, exposed to more like straight ahead jazz. And so that's when I started learning about Art Blakey and, I remember my dad came home. He was like, man, I found it. You know, you should check this out. Like, and it was Art Blake, Jazz Messengers with Moaning. So I heard that for the first time and I'm also kind of blue, Miles Davis. Mm, so, mm. you know, man, I, I was just, I think I've just always been a sponge. And, you know, I, I, I just don't really fall into any category. It's like some people may know me as the, the groove drummer, some Drew groove drummer. I don't really identify with that, but that's cool. I don't care. <laughs> some people know me as the jazz drummer that was playing with Christian Scott and Nicholas Payton back in the day when I was like 22 years old, you know, oh, like 10 years ago. Man. So it's like there's been different periods and now people know me with Butcher. And it's like that has been my real identity because it's something that like I helped create. I started. And so like. Um, you know, those guys really helped me with creating my voice because it was an opportunity to play a lot of the music that I grew up hearing and that we all probably heard in the house. And so, you know, when you have the ability to like play original music that you help write and create, I think it's easier to like start really figuring out your sound, you know, especially when you've been doing it for a long time and there's no one judging you. 
there's no one saying you can't do that because you're making the rules. Oh man, dude, and you so, are riffing poetry. That that might be the most profound thing I've heard all year in this calendar. Oh, I mean, that, no, I'm being dead. That is so. To, if you're creating original music, there's no judgment, and you can begin to hone and find what your sound is all about. I, I think that basically sums it up. And the the thing is that regardless of where you started or you know. All the you know those cat. What was so remarkable that about that little pocket of time in our history is that so many of the quote unquote jazzers, the leaders, they were able to make the music they wanted to and have it commercialized, or not commercialized, but they could monetize on that. Yeah, yep. which is so hard today. And I think so. Talk about the uh, yeah. I mean, because I just read. A, I, I try to do as little research as I can, but I it did say yeah, that yeah. you were like. You founded Butcher Brown, or or how, how, can you talk about how the the brainchild? I just when I saw it and felt it and grooved on it, like I was like, "This is really hip." I don't really, oh, you know, and I don't really see, you know, and I let me be very clear. I just it's hip because you guys have like you're not you're not you're not concerned about being judged. You're just doing something really cool and it's different and you're and you're doing it well that's the other thing it can't it's not sloppy it's really great and i so i talk about the genesis of of that band yeah i mean um yeah i helped start that band i mean me and myself and uh dj harrison you know he's a couple years old we're like two years apart that dude is an assassin dude it's ridiculous dude that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> no, this is just show. set one, though. You know, we got more. Yeah. To do. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, man, like, he, um, I just, you know, me and him got connected back home in Virginia. Like, I was, I've known him since I was 15. And we, I don't know, I heard he, he started making beats. He was, well, he was making beats all through that time on MySpace, bro. Putting them up on MySpace. And I had never heard anything like that before. Like, he was playing all the instruments. And I was like, dude, this is everything that I've been hearing in my head and I've always wanted to play. <laughs> and so me and him just started playing jazz gig together. And he's also a very killing drummer. And so oh, no. I knew him as a drummer first. And we just were friends, whatever, cool. And then one day I ended up on a gig with him through a friend named Jason Arcee. And I'm, in a senior, I'm a senior in high school and this cat brings his Rhodes to the gig. And that was <laughs> the first time I had seen a Rhodes in person. Oh. And he had just gotten the rose, and so I was just like, yo, what? We're playing all this, like, kind of straight-ahead jazz, but it had, like, this, like, Mad Lib, Yesterday's New Quintet kind of Absolutely, we dude. Oh, my God. So so that kind of was, like, the beginning. Uh, and, you know, we just naturally started just making music at one point. Like, we, uh, it just turned into a thing. I'm Andrew was, uh, his was his roommate, the bass player. They used to live together. They all went to VCU. So, like, I would come home because I went to the new school for a year up in New York, and then I came back to Virginia. I was at home, and anytime I was home, I would go to Richmond. I would drive two hours, leave my pay. Hey, Dad, I'm going, to, I'm going to Richmond for the weekend. And I would just go to their house, and Devon had a deep, I'm sorry, DJ Harrison. We call him DJ Harrison, mm -hmm. just so people know. <laughs> DJ had like, a whole little studio set up in the house, and he, we used to record to the DAT machine. He did, it was straight analog. And so this Perfect. is 2011. Sick. We're just recording ideas, bro. And so that's kind of how it started, man. It was a very organic type of uh, situation. You know, we didn't really think about it. We were just young and then just, just trying to make music that we loved and it felt good to us. And, you know, we made a couple YouTube videos and, you know, you know, it was just that, bro. And like, I think one day I just was like, man, this is pretty sick, man. I think we should play music live in front of people. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wait, so it was just, I just want to be clear. It was just a, a duo at that point. No, no, well, it wasn't a duo. It was just me and him kind of like really started talking about it. That's right. You hadn't played live yet. Play. I did. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, you know. There was a bass player, a guy named Chris Smith. He was a friend that was coming down from New York to come jam with us. And Andrew, who plays with us, you know, you see he was living with him. So it would just be different groups of cats, like, that we would come in contact with. Uh, Keith Askey, who was our, um, used to play in the band, he was the guitar player before Morgan. He would, uh, you know, they all, the DJ, more, um, DJ Keith and Andy, Andy all lived together in that house. And so, like... There was just a lot of music being made, and I just wanted to be part of it because I just thought it was so dope. And 
yeah, it just sort of started to form into what we have now as Butcher Brown. Um, and I think that's what has always been very cool about this band is that it's always organic. It's never something forced. We're just being honest with ourselves and play the music that we like. It's never to try to like fit in, you know, we might come in with a song that sounds like, you know, something more on the Southern rock side, just because of the influences of Virginia. Apps, you know, dude, I'm in love with Mason Dixon line, dude. You kidding yeah, me? Yeah, you know, it's just going to be there. You know what I mean? So like, it's just a lot of music that we have probably listened to over time. And all of us individually have played in different settings in Virginia, but have been on the same gigs, but played, you know, some cats have played in bluegrass band together. I but, freaking love that. Dude, this is like, made, you know this is saying? so, no, it's it's so, I mean, no, because, well, there's just too much going through my head right now. The 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 reality is, the thing I noticed, I'm curious about, uh, like the, the you gotta forgive me, but the cat who, you know, who, who, who raps and plays sax and trumpet. Um, yeah. So the thing that really stood out to me was like, um, in, in the most old school sense, he would not play any note. He only would play what was necessary. It, Yo, that is so scale, much bro. breath. There's so much space. And I was like this, you know, cause like we're so pulverized now by, you know, and I think it's BS like facility chops. This guy was like, I was like breathing. It was like a di- I was like, this is an <laughs> organism, dude. It was on. And that to me is like, that doesn't necessarily, uh, that doesn't come from the Academy, you know? And I just wonder like oh, how many wow. of you cats were just like, clearly you've, I mean, you went to, to freaking Dave. I interviewed Brubeck last interview ever Stockton, oh, wow, yeah. Stockton cat. So you, you've yeah, had the, yep. how many of those cats are just street scholars in that band? Um, everybody went to some type of music, went to music school at some point, uh, whether right. they finished or didn't. Um, Marcus, um, AK Tennis Shoe, Andy, and <laughs> DJ Harrison, they all went to VCU together. So Tennis Shoe was just a trumpet player at first, bro. He was just playing trumpet. Oh my I God. I knew him this as a trumpet player. Tennis Shoe. He learned, he learned saxophone from YouTube back in 2000. Oh my, this is too great. Oh no. Oh my God. <laughs> and then he was he was you know and then like eventually you know i started hearing about him rapping because he has like that voice and he was like rapping a little bit back in like what 2013 because him and dj harrison were doing some beats but he really started honing in on that in the past like five years and really you know he's just been shedding oh right? my god drums. dude shedding like a drums. totally original dude man yeah, he's his own person. He's different, bro. <laughs> like Morgan and I, just like yeah, that cat's different. You know, I mean, like I mean, you know, it's it just if you're gonna, I mean, I guess for the, you know, it's maybe sort of you know a leaderless band, so to speak. But yeah, as a front man, he's exactly the kind of you do oh, want. You want that kind of cat front. Yeah, no, he's got it. He's funny. He's like one of the funniest people I've ever. Met. <laughs> yeah, to, like, Dude, he's you know, insane. Dude, I this one sax. You guys brought it down, and it was just. I could have really been in that. I could have been bathing in that sonic bath for all night. It was like breathing, and it was oh, just man. like only what was necessary. You know, I mean, you, to me, like that is really. Do you do you feel like? I mean, whatever reason you, what did you take? Let's just go with the new school. First of all, did yeah. you cross paths with Charlie Persip at all? The drummer up there. I did, man. He actually called me. When, um, rest in when peace, like, another hero of mine. Yeah, rest yeah. in peace, man. He called me, um, like, as before I got to school, was like, hey, I'm trying to recruit. And, you know, I guess he was recruiting me to come to the That is so beautiful. I knew home. that, dude. Because, yeah. yeah, dude, crazy. that freaking dude. I was like, there's no, these two cats, I'm like, Fonville and Persib had to have had a connection up there. Yeah, I had a little connection with him, man. Reggie Workman, uh, couple of, yeah it was it was it was a really cool time man it was i was thankful to just be able to rub shoulders with him chico hamilton was awesome no there. he was was billy was jabal yeah. was billy hart up there too or or, or? Um, no, billy hart wasn't there i had billy harper i was in billy my hart hero myself. my hero oh my i mean this is so talk to this yeah. is so important because i rail yeah, yeah. i rail against the academy for so many reasons number one no of course you know it's like every you know before back in the in the day you know you had North Texas and Berkeley. Now every school has a jazz program. And so many of the professors 
came up in that beautiful 60s and 70s period, so they had a completely different education. It was all on the bandstand. It was all with their elders. And now they're trying to teach kids within the four walls of the academy. So the, the oh, yeah. tell me truthfully what you – just the new school, even though you were only there for a minute, uh, what were some of the components – did you was anything outside of rubbing shoulders? Did you get a chance to play with some of these masters on the bandstand? And what did you take away from your academic uh, thing at, at the new school that you can carry on and, and remain functional yeah. today? I mean, honestly, it was just hanging around those cats, man. Honestly, just being a fly on the wall, going to see the shows. Oh. Like I went to the Vanguard as much as I could to see shows, and like. You know, just asking questions. I only had the chance to play with Billy Harper because he coached the ensemble that I was in. Yeah, but you know what? Like, I, you could go to heaven now. You're done. You're you're yeah, you're you good. Know, you're freaking good. And, and I'll take the one thing I can. And one thing I'm gonna say. I don't know. Uh, he just didn't care, bro. Like, I know. I do. <laughs> he picked up the saxophone, bro. He didn't care. And I was like, okay, someone that has this much command. And he was already like probably seventy years old at the time, seventy-five or something. And like, he just didn't care. He would pick up the horn and just blow play some crazy stuff and like i don't know for me i was like that that said enough right there for me <laughs> you know and to you know kind of go back to the point like yeah bro i'm not the academia guy i didn't finish school i learned everything really from streets from playing gigs and everybody in butch part of the reason why for instance you're talking about how like tennessee plays the horns and how he knows how to play the space and make it feel good and he has like who plays all the right stuff is because we've all spent times playing in non-jazz clubs. We, more gigs have been played, especially in Richmond, uh, or jazz clubs. There's not a big jazz Dude, that, that's an amazingly – so you're saying it's not like this – like gigs. It's not like sitting there with the cappuccino and like having to like be quiet. Like you're playing regular gigs. You're not playing oh, – Man, you know uh, – yeah. People in the bar getting trash. I know? dig, man. I did. Yeah, it's you know what I'm oh, man. You're in there playing, you know, you're just going in. Cats got a whole like, <laughs> I know, love it, like, dude. It's that. Cats are getting drunk, doing their thing, it's partying. Like, they're not trying to hear all of that. You know, and, and it's not even, I don't even think it was a thought that crossed their mind or our minds. We just played what we saw people dancing to. Oh, them hips are moving. Let's keep it going. Dig, man. Jeez. Yeah, because, you know, because you know, in those. That, yeah, well, and that's the unfortunate thing is that jazz clubs used to be like that. You know, it they used, used to be, they used to be dancing. You know, there used to be people getting off and having like complete out of body experiences. You know, but but um, aside from that, also like you're not playing like you know the American Songbook. Like you're playing <laughs> original tunes. Like I don't even know if that'd be accepted in jazz clubs today. But you know, it's just it to me. I just like. You know, I wonder what you talk to cats. So, I wonder what you talk to younger cats about as it relates to going to school. You're one of the first bands that I've come across. I mean, there's there's some, but younger that like where you're talking about just basically cooking the groove on the bandstand, all different kinds of settings. Now you're at a point where you're creating original music. I just feel like there's so much groupthink in the academy. So many of the cats come out if they're there for the full time. They come out sounding like their professor. And yeah, there's no identity, bro. Right, man. There's just a homogenization of sound. Do you tell cats, hey, man, slow down a minute. You might just be better off shedding on the bandstand for a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a, I have a student that, um, you know, I've become more of a mentor to him. But, you know, I remember early on, you know, he was just really focusing on straight ahead. And I was like, look, definitely get those skills together because it'll help your facility. But you got to think about it, man. You're you were born in 2000. Hmm. This kid was born. Is you're not going to sound like Philly Joe Jones or like <laughs> Max Roach or Elvin or Lewis Hayes because those cats were living a different time, bro. Like Joe Morello was not. He was born in 1930 something. Absolutely. You know, it's like they're not going to sound like them. We grew up on different music, so you know, I think there's just a, this elitist mentality where sometimes like the older cats will come down on the younger guys and be like, they don't have the language, this and that and all that BS. And they're just like, dog, what does that even mean? <laughs> if Charlie Parker was came back to the, if Miles or Charlie Parker came back right now, they would not want to hear cats playing that. They were sick they and tired to, of the, that stuff. They were, they were, they yeah, totally. They don't, don't want to hear it. They want to hear progression. And so like I told him, you know, I told this dude, I was like, look, 
here's some records. I gave him a bunch of different stuff to check out. So Idris Muhammad, I had to just, mm-hmm. I just, I just put him onto a lot of music, man. And you know, I just tried my best to like shift his thinking, which he was very flexible. He's a sponge, you know, and you know, I think it's benefited him because I was like, bro, all you need to really have down is pocket. I just want you to get the groove straight, slow down. Like you were saying earlier, I was like, bro, you need to slow down because it's a mindset. Sometimes, you know, he's young, excited, and, you know, they are like, oh, man, I just want to get all this stuff together because right. so-and-so said, sure, you know, I should sure. get this. And I'm like, look, bro, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but you're probably not going to use any of that. When you <laughs> That's exactly on right. the gig, right. You're not going to use it, man, but if you can play, if you can play on a three-piece snare kick hi-hat and rock that like Naismith, oh, you're good. That's all you need. Dude, I'm having a ball, man. This is unbelievable. I, you know, I was going to ask you this sort of, again, a, a little bit of an esoteric question, but I think very important. And again, you know, part of me does want cats to sound like Philly, not not exactly like them, but in terms of the way they used the kit. And ha- But I mean, so much of that was like, so Milt Jackson... I remember the great mm-hmm. the great percussionist Emil Richards, uh, one of my earliest supporters, did thousands of dates in L.A. Tinseltown. Played with Shearing, played with uh, <clears throat> Sinatra. Anyway, he was a vibes player as well, and um, he said he's like Milt had the saddest looking vibes you'd ever seen in your life. You're like, how the heck? What I mean? And he, then the life force. I mean, Milt would get up there with his mallets and all of a sudden, sonically, things would go off. And I just oh, wanted you to talk, if you, as best you can, in your own way, about creating, I don't want to say volume, but creating sonic expansion through your soul, through life force. Because to me, like, the idea is the best the best cats I know and the best musicians I know, they're not pounding the drums to get volume. They're doing it through speed, technique, but also soul and life force. And I'm wondering about about your own cultivation of that. Okay, so I got. I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. You might be familiar with this. So, Hit it. Um, I mean, it's kind of some drum nerd stuff, but uh, you know, Modern Drummer used to do the Modern Drummer Festival back in the '90s, and I was like a kid when I first discovered like Tony Royster Jr. It was the one that he was on. Sure. So, obviously, he crushed it. He was 12. Okay. The one that really stood out even to me as a kid was Bill Stewart. He came up there with a mismatched drum kit. He was playing, like, some Red Gretsch bass drum. I love this. With like, yeah. With, like, some, like, you know, and he, it was like a kit literally like he took from the band. It was ragtag. Yeah, cymbal. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That rod cymbal had the chip in it. Like, it was like somebody had to, they had to cut it. And <laughs> he, play, he was playing a jazz kit. It was like 18, 12, 14. And then two cymbals. And it was an Oregon trio. It was uh, Peter Bernstein and Larry Goldings. Man, that was the baddest set of the whole festival. And don't get me wrong, like everybody was killing. Uh, what? Why was what? What? What, what was the feel? Them. The feet. Talk about why it stood out to you. Is because you're right. It was all stellar, but that one was was on fire. And explain the, the feeling. <sighs> he just had a vibe, man. Yeah. I don't know. Like he just had such a vibe. Like he went up there, and I just felt like. Everybody, I felt like you could hear you could hear a pin drop wow. because wow. there was so much conviction in what he had to say. And when you're playing on stage with other cats that are also on the same wavelength, you're unstoppable. So like all the chops and all the cymbals and splashes or whatever, you could have double pedals. To me personally, it didn't it didn't hold up like that. Like I can go back and listen to that clip right now, and it's timeless. It's just timeless, man. It's so bad, man. Bill shut it down. His hi hat stand kept moving, and he kept sliding it back with his foot. I love this. This and, is like, exactly what I'm talking all, about. Yeah. It was all part of just the whole experience. Um, Brian Blade is another one. Incredible. I saw him play, do a clinic at the Ground Up Festival like three years ago, right before the pandemic, and. He was just talking and cats were asking questions and they had a kit set up for him. And it was just like some generic Yamaha kit, like, you know, stage custom and a snare drum that hadn't probably been tuned. The kit hadn't been touched and then a ride in a hi-hat. So after he spoke, he was like, oh, I'll play a little. They were like, can you play a little solo? Man, Brian made that kit, whatever that was, sound like a 60s round badge. 
<laughs> he made it sound like a 60s round ass man, and I couldn't believe it. And well, I, I could believe it because he's so in tune with him, and he's so such a soulful cat like Bill Stewart that you know it doesn't matter what they play on, it's gonna be them. Just like you mentioned, Mill Jackson, you said like his vibraphones look crazy, <laughs> like they just look so sad, so sad. And then it just they, it just came the minute he hit them, it yeah. was like just. Is that is that the magic of? I mean, there's only two letters that separate magic and music. Is that the pulse of the life force of the person itself? I mean, you kept talking about vibe, but to me, yeah. like, it, it's something that is unquantifiable. Because I feel like Corey Fonville could get the saddest looking kid in the world on a big gig, and maybe you know, and and you're gonna people be there. You make people's eyeballs dance, you know. I mean, I think for me personally, that's what I strive for too. Um, and I think it's just as a result of like, I'm not, I don't consider myself a drummer's drummer. Like I'm not here for that. No, you know, I, I'm here to like, if I sit, if I sit down on the kit, I want everybody to know, Oh, something changed. Okay. The whole mood in this room is switched up and I'm not here to play anything flashy. It's just me, whatever I'm doing. I just want to hold down the groove and lift everybody else up. And so for me, it's like, um, it's just all about, like, it's a spiritual thing, man. Fella said it, too, you know? It's oh, like, he did. It's spiritual. And, like, you got to be in tune with yourself, you know? Like, because I notice a lot of people, they only listen to one thing when they listen to music. Like, I'm not just listening to the drums. I listen to a lot of stuff that doesn't have drums. And, you know, I think it's just part of, like, the type of music that I'm listening to, whether it's Portishead or I'm listening to Earl Sweatshirt or I'm listening to Tom York, or I'm listening to Spiral Gyra. Like, I'm all mm-hmm. over the place, I love man. it, man. It's just like, you know, it's, I just love music, and I think, you know, I love listening to DJs, how they put sets together. Like, I respect that. So it's like a matter of, like, killing your ego and being able to, like, just be present with what's happening in that moment. And I think that's how you can really take it to that upper room that I think we all want to achieve. Dude, that's all. As a fanatic and a journalist, I just want cats to go there. That's and and uh, part of it's also playing beyond what you know, going forward collectively, and not really caring about. You know, that's the other part of it. Is I just wonder about. There's a couple of things that popped into my head. <clears throat> you know, just the idea that <clears throat> you know the you go back and you know you listen to. Uh, you know, Garrison, Jimmy Garrison with Elvin or what, you know, the, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what rhythm section it was back in the day. The rhythm was very round. And now Mm -hmm. because of all this insane technology, there's so much quantized rhythm that, you know, I've just had drummers like Rick Murata talk to me about like hearing, Mm. hearing some beats, hearing some rhythm. And he's like, that's gotta be a machine. And he walks in and there's a human being playing machine parts and I just, yeah. I, I, you know, and, and it seems like, so you've been, how do you, how have you tried to keep the rhythm in your own way? Uh, it might be hard to answer this, but how have you tried to keep the rhythm round? It was very evident because that's how the music moves. I can, I, for some, and I realized that hip hop is absolutely the, the mute, the folk music of this modern era. It's the real stories, the real stuff, but the mechanized rhythm is so hard for me to really groove to. And I just wonder how you've learned to sort of, I mean, you're into it all. So how have you learned to sort of not get too quantized and up and down in your beats? Oh man, I just like shit to swing. And I think jazz kind of going back to like the nucleus for me was straight ahead. Like that taught me. That's right. Jazz, man, especially at like that, like it's that, it's that tempo where it's got that pump to it, that bounce. The pulse. You know, that's right, really, dude. That exactly. Pulse, man, when it starts swinging, you feel Swinging, it. dude. You know, my hair stand up when I start talking about it. And it's like, I think if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be able... Like, that's helped me a ton with groove just across the board because I have a concept. I will never become, okay, it's quantized, like real square L7 kind of thing. It's going to always have that hump because, you know... I like my beat to be kind of wide. And, you know, it's funny because um, I've been working a lot with Charlie Hunter over the past few years. Wow. And, cool, know, man. We, Love that cat. He's, that's just another level too, man. And, you know, him and I are completely different generations. But, uh, you know, we, we both just have always gelled over, like, just really sticking to the groove and holding it down. And he's like, you know, yeah, you're coming. And he knows. He's like, man, you're, like, coming from the hip-hop beat space. 
but it's like your beat is still very wide. Like my beat is pretty wide. That's what I'm talking. You nailed it. You you, you nailed it. And, and 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 it's intense. It's not even intentional. I just think you know. Also, I love Zigaboo and James Black. Like the, all the New Orleans. Are you freaking music. kidding me? I can't believe you just dropped James Black's name. Yeah, man. like all that stuff. Shout out to Nicholas Payton because he's the one that kind of put me on to James Black wow. back in the day. So like I. You know, hearing him, Herlin Riley, like my hero. I'm going to send you all. You're going to lose your mind. I've interviewed all these. I've interviewed everyone. All I mean, Herlin, Reggie, yeah. Billy, person. I mean, crazy. it's so beautiful that yeah. you have touched. That you have great been graced with these. So what I'm hearing from you is because you went back. You know, maybe you went back to Sid Catlett and you know the original yeah. trap set. But the fact is that you did without the sort of tradition of. Uh, swing, you might be more locked into quantized rhythm, you think. You think that that was really the cathartic thing, was going back in time enough to be able to learn how those guys, with you know little amplification and a lot of life force, swung the band. I think so, man. You know, for me, it's like uh, I probably, you know, got into situations. Like, I just had a lot of music, man. Like, yeah. as a kid, like in high school, where I grew up in, I grew up in Virginia Beach, just that Tidewater area. Um, you know, a lot of the musicians down there, they're not into like the heavy, like hardcore straight ahead. They were more into the ECM music. So mm-hmm. like I had Big. to learn about playing with touch and space and they were always telling me I was too loud. So at the time I was like, man, I don't know. I don't want to do that. But you don't realize that they were actually, it was teaching me something that I, you know, that came back later on. Um, now in my early thirties, right. like, I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, so, you know, having that variety, I think was crucial for me because I'm getting different cultures. You know, I'm getting the, you know, the down South New Orleans culture. I'm getting the music from up North in New York. And you also got the West coast jazz. And then it's the same thing with like other genres. Also like I'm not, I'm from Virginia. So I'm, I'm getting influences from the Appalachians, <laughs> you know, the Blue Ridge Mountains where all the mountain men are. How could you not? I mean, it's unbelievable. But you have to be open to that, too. That's the other part of it. It's the open-mindedness. And in Virginia, man, you couldn't really afford, I couldn't afford to be closed-minded because there wasn't a huge jazz scene there. And, you know, we were all forced to sort of, like, play in different environments and, like, learn okay, well, these people don't really listen to this kind of music. And so, like, <laughs> all right, well, I'm playing this funk over here with this band, and they love it. I'm not tripping. I'm having a great time because I love this stuff, too. And I think, you know, to bring it all home, man, I just think, you know, everyone's different. I am fortunate that I, I'm thankful that, you know, I came up in a space in a household that showed me a lot of different music, you know, from Bruce Hornsby to, like, you know, Dave Matthews Band, if you don't like it, you know what I'm saying? People have their opinion on it, but I heard it all. Carter dude, Carter, are you kidding? I mean, dude. I was like, yeah. I, I was like, man, I'm getting that too. Uh, also, you know, rap music, I was hearing all of that because of the Neptunes and Pharrell and Chad, Missy Elliott, Timbaland. So, I don't know, man. I just. Well, I, I got I got I want to. There's a, there's a. I just. Uh, do you, I actually just, my God, I was down in. Uh, Atlanta and Charleston maybe a month ago catching a couple of uh, some music and uh, I feel like even though we're fully interconnected as a country one of the most burgeoning hip music scenes and it's been like that for a while but now because we're such a I don't know how to say this like a non-culture or every we're just so homogenized and interconnected I feel like yeah. the Appalachia what you've been talking about Charlie Charlie Hunter's down in in Asheville uh, just, I, I mean, I can't necessarily always understand the politics of it. I can't understand sometimes the backward nature of people. But I will say, there's a really heavy vibe down there, man. It seems oh, to man. me like there. I don't really know about you know, like, dude. I've interviewed George Porter three times. I mean, Bourbon yeah. Street is a joke now. New Orleans is, yeah. you know, I mean, and that. But there really isn't regional sound anymore. And I feel like you guys have a real possibility with Butcher Brown in particular. To, that's re, that's that's regional music. I've n- I haven't heard anything like that around the country. Wow, man, I appreciate it. And you know, I mean, we owe a lot to you know another fellow Virginian, uh, Richmond native, D'Angelo. Sure, he's the one that. Wow, that's a. I mean, we still haven't. I mean, he's a. No, no, we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna do set two next week. We have so much more yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So again, man, like he, it's just man, uh, 
I, I agree with you. I think there is a sound that exists in Virginia. It hasn't quite been recognized yet. I mean, on a certain level in pop culture with like Pharrell Williams and Chad. Um, yeah, I would even say like the, 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 like the Carolinas, Virginia area, like that is the 21st. It's a, it's a whole vibe. Yeah, man. It's before, like, before we wrap this up, I just wanted to ask you, Nicholas Payton, uh, I remember one of my first interviews with Gary Bartz, you know, me and you have been throwing oh, around, really? throwing around, like me and you've been throwing around a lot of names. We obviously have like a big bag of music that we're into, but <clears throat> me and you could walk down the street of, you know, uh, you know, Virginia Beach or Tucson, Arizona, and ask where I live and, and ask 20 people what their definition of the word jazz is, and we get 20 different answers. And yeah. Nicholas, I haven't interviewed him yet, but he was, I remember Gary talking about, Gary was also somebody who's like, I play music. I don't, I don't yeah. want to get boxed in. He made a tribute album to Coltrane, and he said, I wanted to put it under gospel, but they wouldn't, you know, he want, they wouldn't let him do it. And so I just, I wonder, and, and Nicholas Payton was like, he really believed that they should stop calling it jazz and maybe black American music. And I just wonder about how you try to keep, uh, when people are like, yo, what kind of music is that? And you're like, it's all music. <laughs> like, how do you try to break people away from the labels? Do you think labels in my mind, labels have stratified and hurt the ability of music to really grow on a big, on a macro level? I think I don't know if it's just it's, that's a hard question, but I think man, I think it's just people, man, in general that yeah. like I'm just noticing they it's like with food they got to know what kind of food is it, or what is it? It's just like, man, it's good. I'm not yeah, it's good, you, man. I'm not gonna feed you something that's trash. Come on, man. Like tr try this mole, bro. Trust me, it's gonna be hitting. Try some oxtail, uh, you know. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you know what I mean. And it's the same thing with music. And you know, we started with Butcher calling it. So we started now calling it solar music. Just like everything from under the sun. Oh my, like, dude! You again, you guys, you got it's. You, Papa's got a brand new bag, dude. Butcher Brown's got a brand new bag. It's unbelievable, <laughs> dude. Solar, it's like, solar music, dude. Solar music. I mean, that's what they call it, and you know, it's a representation of a lot of everything we just love. You know, it's it's you know, it's just you you pick and choose. It's like a buffet, bro. And, uh, <laughs> Corey you know, Fonville, dude, you are blowing. Uh, I got to tell you that it is just so righteously classic to connect with you because it, I mean, just stay on your path, man. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, maybe and to me, like you guys have the opportunity again, it may not show up in necessarily completely in this lifetime, but you have the opportunity now to even take not just the music, but even, you know, all of a sudden, Oh, how, what's got kind of music? Well, it's all elemental music. It's all fire, earth, wind, solar. I mean, to me, you have a chance yeah. to completely change the game in your own way. And I go to the mat for cats that are collectively trying to breathe as one living, breathing organism on the bandstand. They're playing original music and they're basically fearless and going over the edge. So mm -hmm. I'm in your camp for life. I hope you guys can get out to the Southwest at some point. Bro. Yes. Yes. No, that's um, <clears throat> definitely would love to come out to Arizona, man. Um, no, that'll. We'll, we'll figure. No, sure. let's just let's. We got more to do. So uh, let's to be continued for sure. Absolutely, my brother. Be cool. Be safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, man. Much love, and appreciate you having. Yeah, me. much love, baby. Be cool, man. Yep. Peace. Peace.